to relatable reality it's Bree and liz what's going on guys and we're bringing you in for a special bonus episode yes we're so excited about this so we keep talking about the fact that both miles and liz suffer from congenital heart defects and we've just never gone in depth about it so we want to take this time to really talk about it because it's something super personal to liz and now me and also because there's not enough awareness about it, not enough people talk about it, because I had no idea how prominent it was. So yeah, you ready to get away, Liz? All right, let's do this. So I was born, Mine's my condition's a little bit different than Miles's, so I was actually born with a heart disease, not just oh, a yeah. defect. Um, God, I wish it was just a defect. That would be so much easier. Mm-hmm. So I have what is called Marfan syndrome, M-A-R-F-A-N. Um, it is a congenital heart disease. So there was no, it was literally like the luck of the draw. It's passed down from one of your parents. So my mom mm-hmm. was actually undiagnosed for her entire life. She had an eye doctor when she was really young say that she, he had suspected it, but she was never diagnosed. My mom never had any other problems. She never had any cardiac problems. And so she just lived a normal life. Like it was no big deal. Crazy. Um, yeah, which is so wild. So when I was born, they actually did not know that I had anything wrong with me until I was born. So the second I came out, the doctors immediately um, rushed me and started testing me at first. They thought that I could have Down syndrome. They thought that I could have a form, a different syndrome, which is called Turner syndrome. Right away, uh, they, they were thinking this? Like yeah, the moment some, you were born? They knew something was wrong immediately. How? They just said that the way, I guess, my face facial features were this like as soon as I came out they could just tell that something was off oh wow yeah so they did all these tests and everything came back negative down syndrome negative this Turner syndrome which is another it has cardiac involvement um it also um is a female only disease and it makes you completely infertile and there is some like mental retardation with that disease. Okay. So that came back negative though, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. So I finally went, was able, when my parents were able to get me into a geneticist and the geneticist asked, you know, has there any past of any diseases, anything that you can think of, blah, blah, blah. And my mom randomly thought about this doctor from when she was like 12 years old and said that this doctor had said something about Marfan syndrome. And the geneticist immediately was like, that's it. That's what she that's wild how old are you when that happened i was about six months old oh my god yeah so then there was no genetic testing now there is um but then there was no genetic testing there was nothing it was just based on certain yeah certain characteristics there is certain um like facial features and like your limbs are longer much longer than normal like i know i always joke people that know me know how much i joke about having to buy special pants but my inseam is 37 inches long it's wild (laughs) it's so wild so um it is like a struggle to buy clothes long sleeve shirts for a normal person are more like three-quarter length shirts Mm -hmm. jackets are really hard um so certain things are hard to buy but that's one of the characteristics also like extreme double jointedness um and the main characteristic is cardiac involvement 
So that's crazy. Yeah. So I have the cardiac problem. They had always been fairly steady as I was growing up. They would get worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse for every doctor's appointment, every cardiac appointment, which was every six months for oh my, my entire life. Of your entire um, life, it was every six months. Yes. <gasps> yeah. I had no idea. I thought maybe yeah, you so. went like a year, a year, and then six months, but it was every no. single six months. Every single six months for my entire Shit. life. I also went to an eye doctor um, to get because part of this disease is retinal detachment. Mm. Um, so I went to an eye doctor every six months. I went to a bone doctor once a year for a full body MRI to make sure. So this disease really is, there's a lot of cardiac involvement, but it at the core of everything, it's a connective tissue disease. Mm -hmm. So anything made up of connective tissue is affected, which is your muscles, your ligaments, your skin, your heart, basically all your organs, any of them, your connective tissue cannot, it struggles to hold itself together. So everything is so loose all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went to the bone doctor to make sure that everything was growing properly, that none of uh, my bones were slipping out of place because wow. that often happens. Wow. Yeah. So there was a lot of, a lot of appointments. So yeah. And everything went good. Every six months I would, sometimes I would get worse and worse and worse. And then my doctor would tell me, you're going to have to have surgery. You're going to have to have surgery. And then my next six month appointment, I was significantly better. And That's I just. so bizarre. It was so crazy. And my body just kept kind of pushing off this surgery. Most people with the same disorder that I have have multiple surgeries. Um, really? Yeah. So a big part of it is people with this disease, um, their aorta will rupture. Oh, so shit. So your aorta? Yeah. Your aorta is the main vein that travels blood from your heart to the rest of your body. It's the only vein that takes blood out of your heart. And then there's other veins and arteries and things that, that go off of it. For people with Marfan's, which is what I have, they, a lot of times at the base, so where the vein actually connects to your heart will rupture, which gives you about 30 seconds to live. <gasps> Stop it. Yeah. I, yeah it's, I never knew this. Yeah, it's pretty intense. That's so, terrifying. Yeah, I always had an aneurysm and I always had it in that spot. They always had watched it and it never was really growing anymore or not. Um, also, one of my valves had never once closed because it's made of connective tissue. And so it couldn't, it didn't have the strength to close. So my blood. Whoa, where was, was that? Just, so that was in my mitral valve. So okay. it, it's on the left side of your heart mm -hmm. and it takes, it's basically the separator between oxygenated and unoxygenated blood. Wow. And yeah, so mine all mixed together. All mixed and that was never a problem that they were like, we need to handle this right now. It was never so severe that it was What's like an immediate thing. Damn, and you, it's always been that way? Yeah, ever <gasps> since I was born. That's crazy that you lived that yeah. long with that. So I just lived a normal life. My doctors never restricted me. They never told me don't do anything. They always allowed me to do basically whatever I wanted to do. I've always been so aware of my body. Um, like just very mindful of what's going on. Yeah, almost like creepily though. I always knew if my heart was racing, even if it was very slight. Wow. And like I could just feel it. I always had this like into I've always had this intuition about my body. Mm -hmm. Um and so even as a young child, like two, three, four years old, I would be playing with my cousins or with kids or whatever, and I would get tired and go inside and sit down. Wow. 
Like I would not continue to play. That's I would not good. keep going. Never pushed yourself. No, never. I never overdid it. And so my doctors knew that and they were very aware. And so they never restricted anything that I did. Wow. Well, yeah, I worked jobs and I worked long hours and things like that. I never thought anything about it. So I remember this one day. It was honestly like the worst day of my life. I'll never, ever forget that day or how I felt or, oh my God, it was awful. So it was a Friday night and at the time I was a server. How old were you um, at this time? I was, it was in 2017. That was four years ago. So 25? Almost 26. Okay. Yeah, I was 25. Okay. So I was 25 years old. Um, and so just for background real quick, they never up until this point were like, we need to do surgery. It was just kind of monitoring, right? They had once. So one time uh, my doctor, I don't remember the year, but I one time my doctor told me you need to have surgery. Surgeries that are this big, the hospital that I go to, which we've talked about, Loma Linda, mm-hmm. um, they... They have a committee and the committee is basically all of the heart surgeons and they, all the heart surgeons have to approve major surgeries. So they all have to agree that it's medically necessary that the patient has the surgery. Okay. So the first time that I was told you have to have surgery, it was literally the day before my pre-op. Whoa. Yes. And I got a call from my pediatric cardiologist, which I was no longer in pediatrics. I was an adult. Right. Um, I got I got a call from my pediatric doctor and she said, I'm not supposed to be calling you. <gasps> but she said, I heard about your surgery and I went to the meeting. Stop it right now. Yes. Friend, I have chills. You never fucking told me any of this. <laughs> so she said, I went to the meeting. I've looked over your chart and you do not need this surgery. She said, I went to the meeting. I explained where I was coming from and you will not have surgery. Wait, what? What yeah, age so was she, this? I was, I want to say like 20, 21. Whoa, I did not know any of this. Damn, okay. Yeah. So she basically busted in the meeting and said, like, I've monitored her since the day she was born. This this is very consistent for where her numbers and where her measurements are at. And it's ridiculous to do surgery. She's gone for 20 years without having to have surgery. And it's it's not necessary right now. Well, all of the other cardiologists from this meeting agreed with her. And Whoa. so they canceled it. Yeah. The day before pre-op? The day before pre-op. Whoa. Okay. Which so how did you feel? Wild. I was so relieved because I didn't want to do it. Right. That's, I yeah. didn't. Even at the time, like, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't think it was right. I, I had thought the whole time, like, I have been so steady this whole time. My numbers aren't really raising, like, my measurements. And I don't, I don't know why this is necessary now. Oh, my God. So, so yeah, that there was the one other time. So then this night at work was just literally like every other night. It was no big deal at the time. Um, I was engaged. My fiance came in to have dinner. He was waiting for me to get off and I was walked. There's like a ramp at, um, the place that I work and I had been clearing tables from like the tables I was serving. And so I cleared the tables. I was walking up this ramp with all these dishes and I literally out of nowhere, friend, I'm telling you. I had no idea this was going to happen. Out of nowhere, I blacked out and (gasps) fell, like passed out. Right. And I like woke back up as I hit the floor. (gasps) Holy shit. And I had 
no idea what had happened. Oh my gosh. So no did people like run over clue. to help you? Yeah. So people ran over, but obviously I felt like it was a long time, but mm-hmm. everybody that watched it happen said that it was literally seconds. I'm sure. So everybody thought that I had tripped. Right. And just fallen. Right. Nobody knew that I passed out. They all thought that I just kind of fell. Oh, wow. So even my even my husband now, but then my fiance, he didn't get up. He was sitting at the table right next to this ramp and he didn't get up because he knows I'm so vain and I'm so like... Stop it. I get annoyed if I, yeah, if I like hurt myself and somebody brings a lot of attention, I'm always like, oh, get away from me. It's not that big of a deal. Well, yeah. Yeah. You're like, can you not? Like, don't, don't baby, baby me. me. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. So he never even got up. He thought that I tripped. And so he but was you eating knew, dinner with one of his friends. You knew something yeah, so different was, was going dinner. on. Yes. He was eating dinner with one of his friends. And so I was like, dude, she just fell. And he was like, I know she's going to get mad if I go over there, though. I'm not going <laughs> to go over there and make a deal. Like, she's going to be mad at me. <laughs> Friends. So, Why are we the same person? Because Sam would be the same way. You'd be too afraid. I was like, they probably thought you were such a dick. Yeah, like such an asshole. <laughs> Hello, she's on the ground. I know she'll be yes. really mad if I walk over there, so I'm not going to walk over there. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Literally. So I get back up, and I all of a sudden, my legs are like jello. Yeah. I can't walk. I have to hold on to something to even move. <gasps> Oh my God. So at that point, did Christian come over? (laughs) No, because I went straight from that ramp into the back room. Okay. Because I was embarrassed. So I just straight straight into the back room and I like leaned against the counter. Keep in mind, this is a Friday night at a restaurant in a huge shopping center. Yeah. This is, we were popping. It was so fucking busy. So I go up to the manager right away and I was like, I'm, I got to go home. Yeah. And he goes, no, you don't. It's Friday. (laughs) You have to close. You're closing. You are not going home. And I go, I cannot walk. And I am going home now. Like, really? right fucking now. Did you tell him, like, I so think something's seriously home. wrong or? Yeah. So I told him, I was like, I just passed out. I just broke 50 pounds worth of dishes all over the front. Oh, like, shit. I I cannot walk. Yeah. I can't walk. Yeah. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> yeah. So he told me, fine, then find another server. I said, that's not my job. My job is to make sure that I'm okay right now. And your job is to find another server. Like, I don't fucking care. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So I went out. I like held onto walls and stuff to go out. And I got my fiance at the time. And I was like, we got to go. Like, I have to leave right now. Right. He was like, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, I didn't fall. I passed out. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what happened. I can't walk. Like, I'm barely moving. I felt like my legs or spaghetti were like, noodles, like toothpicks that would break. Oh, yes, shit. at any second. I that is weird. Get a grasp. Yeah, it was terrible. Terrible. Oh so my god. So what did you do when you left? My husband. So we left. We went to the ER. They couldn't find anything. Well, did you go to Loma Linda or you wrong. stayed here? Uh, I stayed here. Okay. Okay. Just the local hospital. And so I went there. They told me oh, we can't find anything. Nothing's wrong. So then the next day I went to urgent care and they're like, we can't find like you have, you're having these extra beats, which could be part of it, but we don't know. You'd have to see a cardiologist. Okay. 
So, and the whole time from the time that I passed out until basically when I had my surgery a year and a half later, I always felt terrible every single second. Oh my god. And I don't I don't think a lot of people like realize I was so dizzy. It you know when you're super drunk and you feel like your head is like moving in circles and you can't focus your eyes? Yeah. That's that's how I felt 99% of the time. Oh my god. But I wasn't drunk. That's I wish I was. Miserable. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. So after that I went the next probably Four months, I was in and out of an emergency room because of I never passed out again, but it was so close. Um, so I was in and out of emergency rooms. Did you go probably. back to work or did you take a leave? I never went back to work. That's what I thought. So you ate, that was just it. I never did. Okay. Yeah. So the day after I fell, so I went to emergency that night. They told me nothing was wrong. The next day, I went to urgent care and urgent care um, ran a test called an EKG mm-hmm. which they put a bunch of um, wires on you and they run basically they want to see the rhythm of your heart mm-hmm. so they looked at the rhythm and they said you're having a lot of these extra beats so mm-hmm. you need to see your cardiologist immediately yeah so and they gave me an off work notice so I took the off work oh, notice okay good good I called it in um, they told me, do not drive. You are not able to drive. So Jesus. that was that. Yeah. So I was probably the next six months, I was probably in and out of the ER maybe a half a dozen times, at least once a month, because I just felt so terrible. Right. I finally got in with my cardiologist and she saw that basically because that valve, that mitral valve never closed as pressure was being put on my heart. So like me carrying all that weight in dishes while I was going up that ramp or any like large amount of stress or anything like that. Any extra stress that was put on my heart, it obviously it makes your heart beat faster. Because my valve never closed, all that blood was just beating the shit out of the side of my heart. Oh my gosh. And it was creating scar tissue and that scar tissue interrupted the electricity that goes through your heart. Okay. Good lord. Um, Yeah. So my heart was not able to keep a rhythm because the electricity had been messed up. Oh my gosh. Okay. So after literally probably 150 doctor's appointments, ER visits, urgent care, all of this other stuff, Um, I was finally told that I needed to have open heart surgery. Oh, my Um, God. I was, oh, my God. I could cry just thinking about it. It was the most terrifying thing. It's okay. I have have ever done. Right. I can't, I mean, I can't even fathom it. You know what I mean? I just can't imagine sitting there and hearing... I will have to cut into your chest and this is what's going to happen. It's just like a mortifying feeling. I'm sure. It's it's terrible because it's, it's not like a kidney like, oh, okay, if it something goes wrong, then you could just take one out and live without it or, yeah. you know, just have one yeah. or whatever. Like you can't do that with your heart. Mm-hmm. So it was really that day. I was so upset. I remember me and my mom got in this huge fight that day. Like okay. screaming, screaming at each other. Was she other. with you at the appointment? Yeah. So every doctor's appointment, every ER visit, every everything, it was me, my mom, and my fiance. Okay. We went to 
every single thing. He never missed an appointment ever. Good, good. So we we were all told that I needed to have surgery. I got in this huge fight with my mom because I'm overly emotional about it all. Right. My mom is emotional about it all because at the end of the day, I'm still her baby. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. hearing this from a doctor that I have to have surgery and all this stuff, she was overly emotional. It was just, there was a lot going on. Right. I remember going to my pre-op appointment nobody could go with me this was like the first appointment this entire time nobody could go with me nobody could get off work i had to go there by myself oh my god and it was awful i remember just sitting in front of the surgeon and he was so sweet honestly like such a godsend this Mm -hmm. guy Mm -hmm. and i remember just sitting in front of him and sitting there and he walked in and he said oh you're alone Oh, shit. (laughs) I was like, I said, what does that mean? And he said, this isn't an appointment you want to be at by yourself. Oh, no. Yeah. So that day I signed all the consents. He went over everything that could happen. It's like, obviously, the least threatening it is. Yes. And that is the least fun conversation ever. It's terrible. And to like sign your name on it is to be like, sure, go ahead and saw through my chest plate. And you know what I mean? It's just like, not a normal situation that somebody should ever have to go through. No. And oh, also, this is my success rate, but this is also my failure rate. So I have to tell you this. Yes. Like, yes. Fucking thing. What were your, what were your, do you remember? Uh, do you remember the success rate or failure rate? Uh, I mean, the success rate was like, I think it was like 96 or 97. Like yeah. Okay. High. Okay. But that's not what you, like when you're going under, you're like, fuck, I'm going to be that three. <laughs> I know. I know. I totally can relate. I can't relate <laughs> as a person, but as a mom. I remember him being, he goes through like all the worst case scenarios. Like I have to put you on bypass i have to shut down your heart i have to cool yes. down your your brain i have to like do all this stuff and then he's like but it's a 97 percent success rate i'm like you need to start with that like you cannot make me sit yes. with the fact that i have to cool <laughs> down my beat ba- my brand new baby's brain what the fuck are you talking about yes. oh my god so you don't it doesn't even process so immediately after i feel like i literally just signed my life away yeah then I have to go across the hall and they tell me, okay, now you have to pick a date. Okay, so how about like, between now and never? I don't want to do this. <laughs> God. Literally. Ugh. Literally. So I go in to pick my date, which is like fucking, okay, which date would you like to die? How, wh- I know. What would you like your last day to be? Oh like, my God. Are you fucking kidding? Yeah. So I go in and at that time, at that time, I was on an insurance where I had already met certain things to where if I had the surgery that within that year still, then I would get the surgery for free. My insurance would pick up everything. And you knew that, right? And so, and I knew that. So I went in and I told the scheduler, I have to have it this year. Mm -hmm. And she was like, she goes, ma'am, do you realize it's the end of November? Oh, shit. And I go, I... I know. And I go, I know, but I have to have it this year. I was like, I've already met my certain things with insurance and I can't afford to pay the copay. Right. I have to have it this year. Like I haven't worked in a year and a half. Yeah. So there was one day open December 18th. And she said, you're lucky he has an opening. He's the chief of all cardiac surgery. Oh, God. What did you think in that moment? And I, I was honestly speechless. Yeah. 
I didn't know what to say. I didn't. I had just met this man. Right. Right. (laughs) I just met this man. I just sat with him hysterically crying that I'm signing all these consents by myself. Mm -hmm. Now I'm being sent over to pick a day and I find out that this is the chief of all cardiac surgery at this hospital. Wow. 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 Like what? Yeah. It was so much going on. Yeah. I pick my day. Then I went in um, the next time I was at the hospital was the day of my surgery. I remember on the way there, this is completely coincidental, but on the way there, my husband had put on this band, City in Color, and one of their songs talks about like a body in a grave, and it happened to come on. Oh my God. And I was like, can you fucking change this? Yeah. I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to listen. So I go. It was so it was like ironic. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like a purposeful thing. But still. Mm -hmm. So I go in. I remember being super quiet. And I went in and there's like this pre op area where they like set you up. They start an IV. They put you in a gown. They blah, blah, blah. And so I go in there and my husband and my mom are in there. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden a nurse comes over and she's like, okay, it's time. I'm going to take you down. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I couldn't stop crying. Right. I I thought in my head that was going to be the last time I saw them. Oh, my God, friend. I'm so sorry. So they take you down. Did they wheel you down? Like in a wheelchair? Yeah. Okay. No, they wheeled me in a gurney. (laughs) So in a bed. Yeah. Okay, great. So... Yeah, so they wheel you down, and I think after that part, most people that don't have surgery don't really know. So they didn't just take me straight to the OR. No. So they take you into this, like, waiting room for the anesthesiologist. Then they go in, the anesthesiologist goes in and talks to you, mm-hmm. um, like, introduces themselves. This is what we're going to do. They ask you about 9,000 times if you know what procedure you're having. Mm-hmm. And then um, your my surgeon came in and he talked to me. And while I was still in the anesthesia waiting room, my surgeon prayed with me. Oh, uh, I know. Which I'm not like the most religious person. Mm-hmm. But when you feel like you're that close to death, Ugh. it means everything. Yeah. Did it feel comforting in that moment where you... Were you even like 1% more relieved in that moment? Um, Yeah, but I was still like 150% scared to death. <laughs> totally. Totally. I get it. Yeah. So then they wheel you in to the OR and they they start setting you up and they start putting all the stickers and blah, blah, blah. Then I just, I remember a nurse coming in and saying like, or a, I don't know, maybe an anesthesiologist. I don't really know what he was, but yeah, I remember somebody came in and said, just breathe this in. It's just oxygen. Okay. And that's all I remember. <laughs> so. Some good ass oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll take some more of that. <laughs> so obviously it wasn't oxygen. But- right. I'm glad they told me it was. Yeah. So, and then that was it. Then I woke up. I, it doesn't feel like you sleep for a long time, but um, they woke me up over 24 hours later. Okay. So my actual surgery was, I think like 10 hours. Good God. I guess, obviously, I don't know. I slept great the whole time, but right. they, I guess there was a lot of complications and the surgeon told my family that he stood over me grabbing my aorta as I was bleeding and he couldn't stop it. And he prayed for 
four hours. Jesus. Like, what do I do? I don't know what I'm doing. I can't. He knew what he was doing, but he couldn't control the bleeding. Oh, Um, my God. Yeah. For four hours. Ay, ay, ay. Was your surgery Um, really 10 hours? Yeah. Because I remember... Like texting her sister stuff and she's giving me updates and I think I remember her saying something like we're wondering why it's taking so long. Yeah. And that was so, a little scary. So they didn't they didn't say when they're like that there was complications. They didn't say anything like that. They obviously don't wanna overwhelm the family. Alarm. Yeah, alarm the family yeah. unnecessarily. But um it took way longer than it was supposed to. It was supposed to be like a seven hour surgery, six and a half, seven hours, and it was almost ten. Good lord. Um, they ended up giving me four bags of blood, so four oh. pints. Oh my god. Which is a lot. I almost had a full body blood transfusion. Holy shit. Yeah. So then the doctor had said that because my body had been under so much stress and because there was so much new blood that he had to keep me sedated longer because when you wake up, you're still intubated. So you still have yeah. a breathing tube down your yeah. throat. Yeah. You have to leave it in for a certain amount of time. They have to make sure you're breathing over the tube. And so, but it's startling when you wake up. And so right. he had, the doctor said she needs to stay asleep for 24 hours so oh that. Oh my God. So that she doesn't. She needs to, like, heal some before she wakes up. Oh, my God. Did you have, like, a paralytic drip and everything? Yeah. You had to have, right? Yeah. My mom said that there was about four or five poles. You know, like, the poles that they put all the IV drips and stuff on? Yeah. There was, like, four or five of them that were fully loaded. Like, you could not (gasps) put another one on. So scary. And each one of those has its own IV. Right. So, yeah, it it was a lot. I didn't know about any of this. Um, My mom and my sister, one of my sisters saw me, but I didn't, I had no idea. I mean, I'm just, you just sleep. I had no clue. So wild. So so. when I, when I came to visit you, it must not have been within that 24 hours then. It was probably the next day. Yeah. So when you had come, I think it was the next day or the day after, and waking Waking up from a surgery, first of all, you still have a breathing tube, so you're scared because you, you don't know what's going on. You can't, I mean, something's down your throat, so you're gagging and there's a lot going on. Then they, because people take opioids so much now, they don't want to give you anything more than Tylenol. What? Yes. No, absolutely not. Girl, I maxed out. So you're only allowed to have a certain amount of Tylenol in a day. I don't. Some people know that. Some people don't. Yeah. But I maxed out on my Tylenol within a couple hours. Oh no, girl! What? What? And yeah. So my surgeon came in to to check on me afterwards, and I was shaking from the pain. And he said she's gonna go into shock if you don't give her something. Oh well, then, my god! Then it was almost like and. This is the worst pain I've ever had in my life. I'm like, sure. I would, I would not wish this pain on my worst enemy. It oh, is my God. excruciating. Right. Excruciating. Every time you breathe, every time, anything you do, just literally sitting still, it hurts. It hurts. Ugh. So then... Because they were afraid that I would go into shock from the pain, then they overloaded me on pain meds. Every oh. two every two to four hours, I took another opioid. Oh, my God. <gasps> Girl, I was higher than a kite. <laughs> so when I saw you, is that what was going on? High. Very. 
I just thought you were like really drowsy. No, I was. <laughs> I was like a street tweaker. Like oh I my could God. not keep my eyes open. Right, I could not. Right, I slept so much. Part of it obviously is from the trauma, but a lot of it was because I was so high I couldn't keep my eyes open. But was the pain better? Um, it was dull. It was probably in half, but okay. it was still definitely there. I mean, you can still you shit. still hate your life. Holy shit! Yeah, it doesn't take it away. Oh, God. nothing took it away. Nothing. Oh, God. Okay. So after all the healing, it's about an eight week, eight to nine week healing process depending in the surgery they ended up replacing two of my heart valves so i don't know if you guys notice i notice it in the recording like when we're editing and things like that i always notice it but yeah i don't know if anybody else notices like a clicking it sounds like a clock kind of in the background a ticking um yeah. yeah so that is actually my heart beating it's so crazy so i didn't know this until like I don't know, three days before my surgery that mechanical valves, so metal heart valves make this clicking noise uh-huh. and it doesn't go away because if it goes away, then your heart's not beating anymore. That's a big deal. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. They replaced two of my heart valves and they also fixed my aneurysm. So my aorta in that area, in that spot is no long can no longer burst basically, Good. which is obviously super reassuring. Yeah. As soon as I was healed, the feeling like the dizzy feeling and the constant spinning and everything was gone. It's crazy. Like, occasionally I'll still get it once in a while, but it's nowhere to where it was before. It's so significantly less. I had after my surgery and stuff, I had found out that the amount of those extra beats I was having in one day was over 200,000. <gasps> what? Yeah. And so that's my, what so, Oh, that's alarming. So just the lower part of my heart was beating extra, my ventricle, and it was beating an extra 200,000 times a day. Holy shit. Which is why I felt like shit all the time. Right. So now my extra beats are about 1,000 to 2,000 in okay. a day, which is oh. still, for a normal person, it's still a lot. But when you're going from 200,000 down crazy. to one to two. <laughs> That's you, a one percent almost. Yes. It oh, literally yeah. is like night and day. It's the most incredible thing now looking back i would never take it back i would right i would do the surgery again um if it not that i felt this much better than what i felt in the past Mm -hmm. um even all the emotional and how terrifying and the excruciating pain i would still i would still do it all over again it was completely worth it and then you will never need another follow-up surgery um So not for, it just depends. So they can never guarantee another surgery, obviously. So the valves will never go bad unless, basically, unless I'm not taking care of myself. Okay. Um, So I do have to be on blood thinners. My blood needs to now be about three to three and a half times thinner than normal blood. Damn. Um, That's a lot. So I... That obviously has to be checked constantly. I am on blood thinners. I have to take every single day. So there is certain things that come with the mechanical valves. There is another kind of valve that I could have gotten, which was like a pig valve. Did you get to choose? Yeah, so I could choose. Now, the pig valve, you don't have to be on blood thinners. Mm -hmm. However, you have to have it replaced every five to ten years. Oh. So I didn't want to have it replaced. Right. Who would? 
yeah, I didn't want to like sign myself up for more and more of these surgeries if I could do one and be done. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the reason I chose that. Not everybody chooses that. And it's to eat. It's whatever anybody feels comfortable with. Yeah. If you're comfortable with the pig heart and whatever, then I say go for it. I mean, if you're willing to undergo another surgery or whatever, Mm -hmm. or or even if you're like an older person that may not, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not guaranteed to live another 10 years, then go for the pig one. Then you don't Mm -hmm. have to be on blood thinners and it would make your life a little easier. Um, Also, sometimes in children, because children grow so fast, they will use the pig valve because it has to be replaced every so often anyways to grow with the child. Yeah, that makes sense. So then you're not putting your child who's, I mean, we all know children run into everything and fall and everything like that. So you're not increasing their risk of danger by putting them on a blood thinner. That makes sense. Okay. So it just kind of depends for me because of my age and where I was in my life. A mechanical valve fit for me. But yeah, yeah, it just, I mean, for everybody, it just has to make their own decision on all of that. So as of right now, though, how often do you go to the cardiologist now? Now it's about once a year. And so far, everything still looks good since that surgery. It's been... yeah. This will be four years in December. This will be three years in December. Oh, that's right. Because you fell in 2017, but then you had the surgery a year later, right? Yes. Okay. December 18th of 2018, I had my surgery. Okay. So December this year will be three years. Crazy. So yeah, everybody's different. This has just been my journey with my heart disease and like a small synopsis of everything that I've been through. Not that I've ever been any somebody that wants any pity or anything like that. I'd never want no. somebody to feel sorry for me. That's no. I hate that. It drives me crazy. But It's so who you are because even like yeah. me, I'm your best friend and it's like, unless I ask, you won't just tell me the information when it no. comes to your dis- or disease because you're like, yeah. I don't need you to feel bad for me. I'm fine. No, it's never been anything that I've started a friendship or a relationship or anything with. I've never, I've never had it like lead my life. I've never had it control my life. And I definitely am not going to start now. People do ask now about my scar and things like that. Before I had surgery, I was so afraid of the scar, which I know that right. seems stupid. Yeah. But I was, I was just terrified. I couldn't imagine it on my body. I didn't think that I could wear like a low cut shirt or anything like that because I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm vain. I'm very mm-hmm. vain. Like I, my grandparents were vain. <laughs> like That's I just, okay. I just am. So yeah. I was really worried about the scar and now that I have it, it's almost, I, now I'm like proud of it. Like, fuck yeah. yeah. Look at everything I've gone through. Like a like, badge of honor almost. Yes. About I'm a not, I'm not afraid of it. Like I thought that I would be, I still wear the same clothes that I wore before. Low cut, not, I mean, I don't, I haven't changed my wardrobe because of it, which no, a lot you of shouldn't. people do. Right. But um, you shouldn't. People do stare. And the one, one day I was, grocery shopping and I heard a little girl say like mom what why does she have that and her mom was like don't talk about that you can't talk about that Mm. and girl that pissed me off yeah I was gonna say things like that are why there's negative stereotypes Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a negative stereotype this is when she should have this could have been like a teaching lesson like she's been through a lot and she was really sick and that's how the doctors could fix her so that she's better yeah it's hard because people just don't get it you know no so then it wasn't, it wouldn't have been like a negative thing, like a taboo topic. Then it mm-hmm. would have been like, oh, look at her. Like she's been through a lot and she came out on top. Mm-hmm. So things like that bother me. The stairs don't bother me because I'm like, I don't, 
I don't care. Nobody else knows what I've been mm-hmm. through. Nobody else knows the struggles and, you know, the year and a half of bed rest and everything like that that I had to endure to to earn that scar. Totally. Totally. So I, I'm cool with it. I, I'm not going to say I love it, but I don't hate it, mm-hmm. which I think... It's important. Yeah, it takes a lot of growth, I feel like, to get to that point. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of share my journey. I know some people that are close to me already know my journey. I just wanted to share my journey with everybody and kind of know, let everybody know where I'm coming from and how Bree's been there with me to support me through all of this. And, you know, even some things that come up when you tell your story, th- some things come up. Yeah. How I was diagnosed, you didn't know about, or no. you know, the first surgery you didn't know about. It's They're just, just things wild. you kind of forget. Yeah, it's true. The more you talk, like, you kind of bury it. And then when you yeah. bring it to the surface, it's it's still as raw and vulnerable as it was the day it happened. And that's what's really powerful oh, about it. Definitely. But what a blessing that it was a surgery that was performed by who it was, but also that was successful and that you've been feeling so much better. Yeah, which is so great. I was Ugh. able, since the surgery, I've been able to go to school and get a job and not just a job, but a career yeah. and, you know, get a house with my husband and get married because we were engaged prior to being sick but we had to postpone our wedding because I wasn't able to stand um, for more than five to ten minutes without feeling so dizzy that I was gonna fall so we had postponed our wedding for two years so we had finally got married since and that was an empowering moment too having a wedding dress that was strapless that showed a huge chunk of my scar right such like it was just a crazy experience I'm sure. And so. it's, it's a vulnerable moment for you to just own it like that, too. Oh, for sure. Well, so, yeah. I'm super proud of you. You're super strong to go through something like that. I just, I mean, I, it's not like I can imagine, but it's different now that I've witnessed what that world looks like, I guess. Yeah. Because before it's a world that you can't even, you have zero concept of what that is at all. You have zero concept of what it's like when a cardiology, what EKGs are, what echoes are, let alone a full operation, you know? So it's a lot. Yeah. It's just, it's also a miracle that we've come so far that it's something that can be fixed, you know? It's incredible. And I feel so lucky that I was able, like you said, to have the surgeon that I did and to be able to do it in today's era where the technology is so much better than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever. So yeah, yeah. so thankful. Well, Well, I'm super thankful for your story. And that we were such good friends during my time dealing with this world because you could relate and you brought like clarity to it, you know, which we'll talk about next time. We'll do a part two with me talking about Miles and maybe a little bit about him being born and what happened immediately after. Um, But because you were so familiar with that world and then with the hospital that he ended up with, which wasn't even the original plan, which I'll talk about. So that's a godsend in itself. It just brought so much peace as much peace as possible to me knowing that okay this is the right move the right call and the right track that we want our son on so definitely if anybody has any questions about my story or wants to know any more please dm us at relatable reality podcast i'll be sure to write back go ahead and follow us like subscribe download at the apple podcast app iHeartRadio, and spotify thanks for listening to this little extra episode have a good week bye guys bye